Good morning, everybody. Man, it is such a blessing. I keep learning more and more about our folks that I did not know could sing so well and could do so much to lead us in worship. And isn't it great to be a part of a, a place where we have so much talent here that the Lord uses to stir our hearts to Him? Isn't that great? Thank you guys so much for leading us, um, everybody. And um, I just want you to turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 1. We are starting a new series this week that is going to be focusing our hearts in as we approach the date that we celebrate as the birth of Jesus. And so I know that uh, many of us are used to hearing the Christmas story, and we will definitely be talking about the Christmas story. We are going to have uh, some, some parts of that as we go along. I do think it's going to be a little bit different in how we go about it because I don't like to take the same path twice. Usually I think most of us have grown up hearing a lot of the same paths in different places that we've been and served. And uh, I just kind of want us to lean into a place that you've been aware of, that you've heard about the Christmas story in a lot of ways, and in some particular ways that have been very, very well articulated to you, that you're very aware of. It'll feel like this is an old thing that you're very familiar with. I want to challenge you today as we look at the presence of God as, as to be something kind of new for you, because I think most of us think we understand what it means for God to be with us, but most of us have not really been living that out in our daily lives as Christians, as followers of Jesus, in the way in which we could and maybe in the way in which we should. And so I want to encourage you today as we get into the text, uh, we're going to look at a lot of different places in Scripture. I'm kind of going to approach things from a 30,000-foot level, and we'll be zooming in on certain spots to talk about it. Uh, Again, it's something that's very familiar, so if you're not careful, you could easily just kind of breathe it in and breathe it out without noticing where we have been and what we have done. But I hope today that we will focus in on something that feels familiar but is ever, ever so much needed in our lives. And so if you would look with me in Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18, we will read this. We'll come back to this text in a little bit. Uh, This is going to be kind of our our centerpiece for today and even for the series. So look at Matthew 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this morning you would lead us not only into your word, but deeper into the story of Christmas that is even now ongoing. For Lord, it means so much more than just a picture or a story about something that happened 2,000 years ago. But Lord, it is a, it is a story that is unfolding even now. Even though so many pieces are in place It has not been finished and will not be until you come to take us home. So Lord, help us this morning to not just learn of you, but to know you and love you and walk with you more and more aware as we go forth from this place today. And we ask that in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Look back with me, if you would, and see in verse 21, 22, 23. I want to reiterate these parts. This is where we're going to kind of hang out in idea today. Look at it again. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which means he will save you. He saves. God saves. It says here, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Talking about the prophet of Isaiah in chapter 7. He says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we see Jesus, the word there means that God saves, and we see he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we know this, you've heard this, you've listened to it over and over and over again as you've grown up, especially if you've grown up in the church, about the fact that Christmas is about God coming to be with us. And that God with us in Jesus is what it's all about. Now, you've heard that. You've taken that in. You've probably tried to live that out in several ways throughout your life. But I'm going to express to you today that I think that it is way bigger than we probably think about it most of the time. It is something that is an ongoing thing that we should live in regularly and daily. But what does it mean to do that? And why should we do that? What's the purpose of that phrase? And how do we do that are questions that we might not ever even think about, but today we're going to explore. This Christmas story is a story of a holy, good, and perfect God who created a people to be with Him forever and ever and ever. But the people with whom, the people that He did create, those people, us included, have rebelled against Him and do not want to be with him in and of our own spirit, of our own desires. It takes a supernatural act of God to turn our hearts back to him in the way that we were created to be, and that is a part of this Christmas story as well. In fact, Christmas is the story of God relentlessly pursuing his people, him pursuing us. You recognize, it's him pursuing us. We do pursue him as he turns our hearts back to him, But apart from any work that he might do, we are spiritually dead. Apart from any work that he might do, we do not yearn for him until he woos us through the gospel of his son Jesus, the good news of his son Jesus. He loves us all too much to let us run headlong into an eternal hell, separated from his love and the fullness of his joy that can only be found in him. Christmas is the story of the coming of the son of God, but it's so much more than just his coming 2,000 years ago. It's a story of how God has yearned from the very beginning, even before the beginning, to live and walk with his created people, relationships, with the people he made, to enjoy them, for them to enjoy him. Do you realize that God desires to be with you every moment of your life? Every moment. He desires to be in a recognized Real relationship face-to-face with you every moment of your life. He has always desired to be in your presence. He has always desired that. And he made you to live and abide, as the scriptures use those words, and to walk in his presence continually. It was his plan from the very beginning. But sin created a chasm between man and God relationally. It's a chasm that God has been working to overcome since the fall of man in the beginning that's recounted for us in Genesis 3. And he's done that because he loves us and wants to be with 
us. I want those words to hang on us today. The creator of the universe who made all things, who made us to enjoy Him, to reflect His glory, even though we have rebelled against Him and run from Him continually in various ways, if not in whole, He loves us so much that He's willing to overcome all that rebellion so that He could be with us. Even at the greatest lengths that it took in giving His one and only Son. Look, Genesis 3, 8 and 10, right around that time of the fall, right after Adam and Eve sinned against God by disobeying His command, His only command of what not to do. It says in verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That means that God had been walking with them in the garden before. They heard and recognized His path toward them. They were aware of that because they had been spending time with Him, is the implication. They had been spending time with Him in the garden. As He was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. They ran from Him. But God, the Lord God, called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Like he didn't know. It's relational. Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Although we were made to walk in God's presence for all time, we, like our first ancestors, do our best to run and hide from God in so many ways. But God refuses to let us go. This is good news for us today. The fact that Jesus came to be Emmanuel, God with us. It'd be easy for you to wash over this and say, I get this, I've understand it, why are we staying on this? But I'm telling you, I don't think we really get it. I don't think we really understand the depth of what it means that God came to be with us. That he's always meant to be with us. Look, even after the fall in Exodus 25, 8, we see him commanding how they could create a place. You see, the the chasm is so great because God is holy and perfect. And anything that steps into his perfection that is not holy and perfect, morally, living in life in this world, if we step into his presence, we would surely die. That's why Moses wants to see God's face. And God says, I'm going to cover you so you can't see my face because you would die. And you only get to see the back of my glory. So God cannot be in the presence of sinful people relationally. And so God has separated himself from us, but yearns to be back in relationship with us. Starting in Genesis 3, we see that separation take place where he casts Adam and Eve out of the garden to never be able to come back in that place with him. And we see him pick up in Exodus 25, 8, where he says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. A place where he can be in their midst that is holy, that has no sin, where sin has been accounted for through sacrifice. Exodus 40, we see they've done this, verse 33 and on. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work, and then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This is an amazing story, actually, because everybody since Adam and Eve have sinned and rebelled against God in so many ways. Go back and look at the ones we call the greats. Abraham, so many times, over and over and over again, failed. But God had made a unilateral covenant with Abraham that he would use him, and through him would his seed come. And he would bless all the nations through him. And we see here he begins that process by coming to dwell with the people in the tabernacle. Leviticus 26 
still recounting the law, verse 11 and 12. I will make my dwelling among you, he says, and my soul shall not abhor you or hate you. And I will walk among you. There's that language. I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. Again, restoring that relationship, but still it's not the way it was intended to be. There's a separation, even though it's with, within the people in their surrounding areas, but they are still separated, cordoned off from being in God's full presence. And even though he dwelled in the midst of his people in the temple, his relationship with his people was not right still. Their sins separated them. Separated them from the joy of walking in his presence, from feeling the totality of his love for them, from feeling the overwhelming grace and mercy that can come from just being in his presence. Some of you have felt that before in moments where God has shown up in a way where he manifested himself to you in a way that overwhelmed you and you were just brought to the bottom of self and shown the glorious goodness of God. Some of you have never tasted of that. Because he is holy, perfectly good and righteous, we know he could not dwell amongst the people that had rebellion full in their hearts. So he made a promise to his chosen people even. We see later on by the prophets, right? He dwells with them in the temple, first of all in the tent of meeting, then in the temple, and even dwells with them through the speaking of truth about him by the prophets. In Ezekiel 36, he recounts what the Lord has to say to his people. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart. That's the problem. We need a new heart. Our hearts are deceptive. We should not trust them. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk, there it is again, to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God's doing all this work. I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to create a new heart and take the old heart of stone out and put a heart of flesh in you. And I will cause my spirit to be in you. And you will walk in my ways. I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Later on in Ezekiel 37, 23, they shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols and their detestable things or with any of their transgressions. But I will save them from all their backslidings in which they have sinned and will cleanse them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. You see, he's trying to fix things so that we can be with him. The problem is our hearts are still torn apart Paul talks about our flesh inside, that we yearn to do the things that we should not do, and we don't want to do the things we should do, and that we are warring our flesh against our spirits as we have been regenerated and made new, but we're not yet complete. Ezekiel 37, later on, he goes forward and says, I will make a covenant of peace with them. A covenant of peace. Not where you run and hide anymore. Not where sin makes you feel like you can't ever live up to the mark. Not where you will feel like you have enmity between you and God, where you feel like you have to hide things from other people, or have to try to hide from him, even though we know we can't. It's this crazy cycle of insanity that we call sin. He says, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. Again, he says, my dwelling place shall be with them. We are not worthy 
nothing we can do. And yet the one who made us to be perfect like him is pursuing us relentlessly through thousands of years to bring us back into relationship with him. My dwelling place will be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. So around 2,000 years ago, God launched the greatest rescue mission in history of all time. You've heard it called that before. About 2,000 years ago, we just recounted it in Matthew chapter 1. He sent his one and only son to save us from the condemnation that we deserve because of our sinful rebellion. He sent his one and only son to become one of us. God become man, the God-man. You see, we can never overcome the sacrifices they were doing in the Old Testament to take away their sin was just a picture of what needed to take place because those sacrifices could never wash away the sins of the people of God because those animals weren't made in the image of God. Those animals weren't uh, enough to take away the sin of those who rebelled against God. They were to point to a needed sacrifice that would uh, make peace for all time. And so God sent his one and only son, fully God, to also become fully man. And in that combining God and humanity together in one who is Jesus. Bringing together the perfection with the creation. This Matthew 1.18, let's read it again and see this in light of this truth. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. The fact that he was born. The one who created all things, like a vulnerable child. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. If you read the other accounts, like in Luke, you see that she was fearful in some ways, right? Like, what's going to happen? How's this going to go? But she trusted in the Lord. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Do you you see the plan even taking place now? It has to be a perfect child. It has to be a perfect son. It can't be one who is in any way tainted. It talks about in Scripture, the way that works is that the fact that the, the, the man, through the man, the seed comes that brings sin with it. So we are all innately sinful. But this son was to be born of the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary so that this baby was formed, not from man, but from God, but made into a man. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. For the first time since the garden, God with us, walking with us. taste of being in the presence of God. We, some of us have yearned to be in that presence. 
Man had been separated from God's full presence since the beginning. But now, God had come in the person of his son Jesus to dwell with us in the flesh. John 1. I'm going to skip around here a little bit just to kind of keep it shorter. John 1. In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, the Son, before he became known as Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, the life that was breathed into Adam, the the life that keeps our hearts beating. In him, he holds all things together, we see later in Colossians. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. You see, the the confusion that even states to us. He was in the world, yet the world was made through him. It's beyond our understanding. Yet the world did not know him. We like to think, man, if Jesus just walked with me, I would not be the way I am. I would stop doing this. I would have never done that. I don't believe it's true. Because we're still sinful at the core. We need a huge change that will be made as we become believers and then fully made as we are taken to be in his presence when he eradicates all sin in the second coming. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Not slaves, not servants, co-heirs, sons, daughters, even though we rebel, now even. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. There it is again, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt is the same word used in the Hebrew for tabernacled. So God tabernacled then and there and in the temple, and now is tabernacling in the story with His people in the God-man Jesus gone from a place that nobody could enter into, now into where people could touch him and be healed. Now to a place where they could hear his voice and have their sight given back to them. Now now to a place where they had no hope, and now because of the news he brings, there is hope. Where the lame can walk, where people can be brought to life who were dead before. This is craziness, that he dwelt tabernacled among us and we have seen his glory john says glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth he says no one has ever seen god the only god who is at the father's side he has made him known you see that god who's at the father's side the son he has made him known because he has seen him he knows him intimately never has been out of relationship with him. And he's made him known to us. Now we go from a temple where it's still mysterious because it's behind a curtain to where Jesus comes to be with us. No longer separated from God in that way, but present with him in the Son. And Jesus didn't just come to dwell in our midst for a short time on earth, but to make a way for us to dwell with him forever. That's the whole point of the gospel. Listen to it. 
Mark 1, 14 through 15. This is the way we get there, the very beginning of it. Now, after John was arrested, John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Here's what we do. Repent, keep on repenting is the implication, and believe in the gospel, the good news about Jesus. So your and my responsibility is to repent of our sin, turn away from our rebellion, and turn toward God face-to-face in relationship with Him. That is what we are called to in faith that He gives us as we turn to Him. We believe on Jesus as our Lord and Savior. You know this. Hear it a different way. Colossians 1, we heard it earlier, 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And he is before all things. In him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. See, he's at the center of everything created. Because he is beyond creation. He was not created. He became one of us to be a part of the creation but was not created. And he is above all things. It says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, listen to this, making peace by the blood of the cross. This is the gospel, right? That God was dwelling with Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve failed to obey the one and only command of what not to do. They rebelled against their creator who loved them and just wanted to be with them. And in their rebellion, all of us have fallen in sin. And now we sin because we are sinners. We rebel because we are rebellious. And as we rebel in that, God sent his son to come into this world to be the perfect God, man, fully man, so that when he lived the perfect life that we cannot live, and then he can then go to the cross to die the death that we all deserve, not just on a cross, but bigger picture than that, all the wrath of God poured out on us for all of eternity is what it would take for the rest of eternity to, to totally get the wrath we should be having as rebellious people against God. Instead, poured out totally on him on the cross, and he took it all down and died under the weight of it. So that he could bring us into his family. As brothers. As sisters. Purchased by the blood of Jesus. Bringing peace to us. By the blood spilt out on the cross. In our place. Our substitute sacrifice. Fulfilling all the old sacrifice pictures that were in the Old Testament. The ultimate sacrifice. Reconciling us. Bringing us back to God the way we're intended to be. Making peace by the blood of his cross. As in Romans, Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, not that we've done anything, but God has given us faith to believe, and we believe in him, now that we've been justified, made right, declared right, saying that we are right even though we are not, that Jesus' righteousness is declared upon us because he took our sin upon him. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Not apart from him until he comes back. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus says in John 15 that we should abide in him, live in him, walk in him. And even after he accomplished his mission, 
even though he left to prepare a place for us until his second coming, he never really left us. This takes it, you think it's all said and done right there, but he never left us. Because he's always intended to come and to stay with us and be with us until he makes all things right. Take us to be with him unhindered, sin eradicated. Because he came to be with us and remain with us forever. John 14, 15. If you love me, he says, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you, he tells his disciples. Or Matthew 28, right? You know this. Right at the very end, he says, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. You hear that? Behold, look, see, understand, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We know what he meant by that as Acts 1 shows us. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They still didn't see it. They didn't get it, right? And he says to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. Dunamis, where we get dynamite from. You will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Every single one of us that has believed on Jesus has been infused with the power of the Holy Spirit. Not just the power, but the person of the Holy Spirit who is all-powerful. And we are made to be His witnesses, ministers of reconciliation. Not just to take good news and have power in itself, but to have God with us. And as loving fathers do with their children whom they love, He takes us with Him to do His work because He wants to use us in His work to show us His love for us, to let us be a part of the saving work of saving others. God with us. He's with us right now. If you have repented and believed, He's with you right now. He's with you when you think nobody sees you. He's with you when you feel like you are overlooked by everyone else. He's with you every time you choose to sin. He's with you every time you lay down your head, every time you rise. While you sleep, He cares for you. He's numbered every one of your hairs because He's so intimately connected to you. He knows everything about you and He still loves you and wants to be with you and is with you. If you were His, you're never without Him. You just act like you are sometimes. God is with us. We've heard this phrase over and over again. But have you ever really stopped to think about it like this? God is with us. If we've been born again. God is with us. He's with us in the busyness. He's with us on the drive to work. He's with us on the drive home. He's with us as we gather with our families. He's with us as we gather with our faith family. Even when we're not focused or thinking of Him, He is thinking of us and is with us. 
God's with you when life is good, when your life is difficult. God is with us when the sun comes up and the darkness closes in around us. And when the darkness closes in, it's not because he's not there. He is there and he's carrying us through even if it feels like we are alone. In the chaos of our lives, he's with us. In the depth of our sufferings, he's with us. Everywhere, all the time, God is with us. If you've been born again. If you put your faith and hope in Jesus. And in this presence, we can find fullness of joy even in the midst of suffering. The Psalms are replete with it. Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. We don't have to wait for that. He's with us now. There's fullness of joy right now. At your right hand, he says, are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 27, one thing I have asked of the Lord, David says, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You recognize in the end there is no house of the Lord, right? I mean, he's just present with us. We are with him. Now he's with us. We can gaze at his beauty even now. We just turn to look at him face to face. See him where he is, who he is in our presence. Psalm 89. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, who exult in your name all the day and in your righteousness are exalted. So if we're made to walk in God's presence, if our greatest joy comes from being with God, then how do we do it? How do we do it differently than we've been doing it? How do we walk in His presence continually? Micah 6, verse 6 and on. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Brothers, sisters, let us Stop acting as if he is not with us every moment of every day. But you ask the question, how? It is hard in some ways, but so easy in others. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You were not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Or 1 Corinthians 10, 31, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And you say, okay, but How? right? How do I do it? A great insight. Just why I picked one. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 22. Rejoice always. Listen, pray without ceasing. Man, that's overwhelming, isn't it? Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. 
I'm going to give you two things to walk away with about how to do that now. To practice living in the presence of God. Not practice in the sense of getting ready for the game. You're in the game. But to start doing what we should have already been doing. To do it more and more. We never earn God's favor by doing it. Jesus earned all of God's favor on the cross. Thank you, Lord. Because we can never do it well enough or enough. But he did it for us. But now what can we do? Two things. First, meditate. Okay? Not in a Zen Eastern way. Meditate in a biblical way. In other words, listen to God and meditate on who he is, what he's done, and what he's promised to do. This is what worship is. Worship is our response to who God is, to what God has done, and what he's promised to do, and what he's doing right now in our midst. It's our response. So everything we do in response to that, whether ignoring it, that's a worship of something else, or actively worshiping him, giving him credit, responding to him, thanking him, praising him, bringing him into our conversations, bringing him into our homes, bringing him around the dinner table with our families, whatever it is, that is worship. So meditate by listening to God and meditating on who he is, what he's done, what he's promised to do. Meditate on his presence with you at this very moment. How do we do that? Be present with God every moment of every day. How do you, so here's what you do. If you didn't go one on the way in, there's a whole stack of them on the way out. They look like this. I'm going to give you a little, a little sheet. There's going to be an exercise for you for the next six days after today. Today, you use the text of Matthew 1, Matthew 1, 23, and that'll be your text, maybe 22 and 23. But every day, for the next few days, I'm giving you a cheat sheet for how to practice living in this by meditating on it. I want you to listen to one, read, focus, memorize, think about, set it in front of you, like in the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, it says they put it on frontlets before their eyes. They put it on the doorposts. They put it on their hands. And so whenever they went, they saw it all the time. They talked about it as they rose. They talked about it as they laid down. They talked about it as they hung out in the city gates, as they hung around the water cooler, as they went to work, as they came back from work. They talked about these things. I want you to try your best for the next few days to try it like this. Look at it with me. I, I can use the same translation that was read to you at the time of the lighting of the Advent candle this morning. Simply understood. Look at Mondays as an example. Colossians 1.15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Take that in and continue to press it into your mind and heart. Read it a bunch of times. You can read that a whole bunch of times in about a two or three minute period. And then think about it as you take a shower. Think about it as you eat breakfast. Talk about it with your spouse. Talk about it with your kids or your grandkids. Think about it as you drive to work. Look at it when you get to work. Look at it on your break. Remember it again. Take it in, take it in. And then simply the second thing is I want you to breathe out to God whatever he's placing in your heart from that scripture. I've given you an example for every day. So look at the verse again. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. So here's what some would call a breath prayer, a quick little short prayer that you can say anytime over and over throughout the day to get your heart back on the Lord, just to give him praise or glory or ask something of him. Here's that one for this day I wrote down. God, you are supreme over this moment. When you're freaking out, God, you're supreme over this moment. Help me. When things are going well, God, you're supreme over this moment. You gave this to me. When, when things are not on you at all, and you see something great, God, you're supreme over that moment. When things of calamity hit someone else, God, you're supreme 
over that. Do whatever needs to be done. You care for them more. You're supreme. You're over this thing. You're greater than all things. You are supreme over everything. You're supreme over me as I worry, as I stress, as I'm anxious. God, you're supreme over this moment. It's been six days. Started day seven days. Just breathing out a prayer a day over and over again as God brings them up. See how it would change. Because Christmas is a story that began at the creation. We like to think of it that began 2,000 years ago, but it's been ongoing for thousands of years, and it's not over, I'm here to tell you. Christmas is a story of God with us, and it continues on now, and it will continue on until he comes back. When John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and for the first heaven and the first earth that passed away, and the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things that have passed away. But in the here and now, God is still with us. And when the tears come, He is there to be with you because He loves you so much. So take in that He's with you and live in the presence of God. Don't negate it by focusing on things that draw your heart away from Him. But instead, refocus your mind, your eyes, your hearts, your eyes, your ears. Refocus your families. Refocus everyone you know back to the Lord where they can find the fullness of joy they've always dreamed of where they can find everything they've ever desired in the one who gave everything for them on the cross, in Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel. God is with us. How different would this town be if we lived as if God is with us every day, everywhere we go? Let us be those who live in the truth and the relationship of God really is with us because he is. Father, I need you to press that truth into me. I know you are here now. You are with us now. But Lord, sometimes it feels that you are not. Sometimes it feels like we are alone or that we have just forgotten. But Lord, we have not been forgotten. You have given us all that we need in Jesus, your son. By the power of your Holy Spirit, you live with us. And He is still with us always. So Lord, bring our hearts to that attention. Tune us into You and Your presence with us. Show us how You're working around us, Lord, and give us eyes to see how we might work with You. Let us enjoy Your presence now and not just wait for when Jesus comes back, but Lord, let us live not just in the truth, but in the experience of You with us now. We ask that all in Jesus' name. Amen.